we recognize that we're in the keeping people well business, but we also recognize that we're in the take care of people when they're sick business also, and have made appropriate investments on both arms of that. That was Dr. Mark Harrison, President and CEO Intermountain Healthcare, speaking about how the COVID-19 crisis emphasizes that Intermountain is responsible for both keeping people well and taking care of them when they are sick. I'm Gary Bisbee, and this is Fireside Chat. In our conversation, Dr. Harrison explored the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on healthcare, namely the intensity of the digital experience that will be new to healthcare and the stepwise evolutionary change in what healthcare will look like in the future. Let's listen. We'll have just gone through the most intense digital experience that anybody's ever had. And I just imagine that is going to be a big focus for how healthcare is delivered. It's going to be a demand. It's not even going to be an option. So I think we've actually just experienced a stepwise evolutionary change in what healthcare looks like. The high point of the coronavirus surge is expected in Intermountain service areas in May. Dr. Harrison outlines the pathway for Intermountain's preparation. He discusses how the 40,000 Intermountain caregivers and employees are consolidating around the challenges, how he is communicating with the board of directors and what questions they are asking, and how he thinks about Intermountain's finances as a result of the crisis. Let's welcome Dr. Mark Harrison. Well, good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon, Gary. How are you? I'm well, thank you. We're all facing the COVID-19 outbreak, and we appreciate your joining us to discuss what's the status of the surge and Intermountain service areas, as well as Intermountain's response. Can you share with us what the coronavirus timeline is in your service areas? You know, Gary, we, we know that each geography has its own characteristics. We think the peak of our surge will come mid-May. We're deep into preparing, planning, identifying resources, and much to my pleasure, just terrific collaboration between different health systems and the state governments. This feels good. I mean, no one would ever wish for this kind of circumstance, but the degree of community spirit is just phenomenal. If it's mid-May, Mark, that's still another six weeks before the major point of the surge is coming? We are hopeful that social distancing is really going to work here. Currently, we're increasing at about 100 cases per day across the state. And right now, that is not showing signs of exponential growth. By the time this podcast airs, maybe. So we are holding our breath and hoping. We were chatting briefly earlier about the fact that you were in Abu Dhabi as the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic for a number of years. Have you kept track of the outbreak in Abu Dhabi, Mark? Relatively peripherally. The rate and the density of disease is probably about the same as where you are in Connecticut, from what I can tell. From what I can ascertain, the government response has been terrific and very well organized, very supportive of the people who live there. I know they're going to get through this just like everybody else will, and they'll do a good job. Like the rest of us, I think the economic recovery piece will be quite interesting. And I think we'll all be watching the different models around the world to see what seems to work and try and adapt and overcome as quickly as possible. Lessons for sure. Well, let's turn to Intermountain's response to COVID-19. What has been your message to the Intermountain communities, Mark? The most important message is we care about people more than anything else. We take our role as the largest private employer in the region by almost 2x, super seriously from an economic standpoint. You know, we have 41,000 great people, and we want them to stay in jobs. We want them to stay in their homes. We want them to be able to buy food. We don't want them to be scared about the economics any more than they have to be. 
The most, most important thing is we want people to remain physically safe as well. So we're working very hard to thread the safety, quality, operational excellence needle with the economic needle. Not an easy equation, Gary. No, not at all. The testing supplies have been in short supply nationally, Mark. How are they in Intermountain Service areas? Again, much to my pleasure, we're starting to look at this from a statewide basis now. And we're seeing extraordinary transparency between systems and providers starting to pop up. And so far, so good. But still with concerns like everyone else around ventilators, ICU beds, PPE, etc. And there's planning around each of those work streams, as you might imagine. One of the things I'm most pleased about is some of the innovation I'm seeing around PPE. Our industrial hygiene folks have worked really quite rigorously and have established that quite a number of the N95 masks actually can be safely sterilized and reused. And right now we're doing about a thousand a day, and we think we can ramp that up actually much more significantly. So in addition to sourcing PPE and preserving what we have, it's pretty exciting to be able to reuse as well. And we have a number of really quite innovative community-based partnerships around face visors and masks and a number of other things that I think they have operational implications, but they also have an enormous community spirit building effect as well. So back to ICU beds and ventilators for a moment. If you're thinking that the surge is four plus weeks away, the high point of the surge, do you have a line of sight on enough ICU beds and ventilators? There is a statewide effort, you know, where we are trying to look at this as all resources, but Intermountain probably has the majority of ICU beds in the state. And there's enormous creativity that's going into identifying additional spaces. And very soon we'll need to decide whether we need to repurpose or build beds. And so the decision will need to be made. And I think certainly we would rather have a auditorium full of cots for low acuity patients that never gets used. We'd probably rather be overprepared than underprepared. Yeah, that that makes good sense. Turning to telemedicine for a moment, Intermountain's been a leader in telemedicine services for some time. Have you seen an increase in telemedicine usage over the last several weeks? Like many other, by the way, boy, are we glad we invested in this in large part because we had such a large geographic footprint to cover. It's proven to be incredibly valuable. And I would say there were, in terms of video visits, which were our most difficult area, there were probably dozens that occurred per day. Now it's thousands that are occurring per day. And it has lots of good effects. On the one hand, it really helps our patients stay in good touch, stay in good health. It helps our doctors and advanced practice clinicians stay busy. And increasingly, it's keeping people out of Instacares, out of EDs. And we actually have an AI-powered COVID bot that has been visited well over 100,000 times. For every 100 people who visit, only about three people end up going to an urgent care or an emergency department. So we think we're keeping people in the least restrictive environment and using as few in-person resources as necessary. So we're actually really pleased we've invested in this. Just to follow up, Mark, is there any evidence to suggest that People that might have been reluctant to use teleservices in the past did it in the need during this epidemic, and they might be more comfortable using it in the future? Absolutely. That's been our experience with tele all along. Once you get people to break that barrier, they're like, you know, why would I want to sit in a waiting room with sick people? Why wouldn't I want to be able to have my visit from wherever I am? 
this has broken that barrier. And I would be shocked if things went back to the way they were in entirety. Yeah, Steve Corwin at New York Press, colleague of yours, was saying, interviewing him recently, that they've been pleasantly surprised with the use of telepsychiatric services and that a lot of people actually preferred to do it remotely. You know, that is interesting. There's also, by the way, he's a, he's a terrific person and a great leader, and his organization is really stepping up to some pretty tough stuff right now. We've been doing telebehavioral health for a long time here and integrating it into our primary care clinics. And you're actually 100% right. There actually are people who are even more comfortable interacting with a bot than they are with a person over tele. So the opportunities to do cognitive behavioral therapy with a an avatar or others, I think we're really looking hard at that. And we're actually expecting, and I think a lot of folks are, that as the medical issues tail off around COVID-19, eventually, we're going to see a wave of behavioral health issues that are just beyond belief. I think you're right about that. Turning to surgery, have you postponed all elective surgery at this point? We actually were about a week or two ahead of the CDC guidelines. We listened really hard to our clinicians, and they were very concerned about potential risks to patients, to staff, and they were really worried, and they were showed great foresight. They were very concerned about burning up PPE doing elective cases. And after long discussion, we were very supportive of them, and boy, am I glad we have been. So yes, they're probably an additional financial hit. But I think we all with very clear consciences can say that we've done absolutely everything we can to put people first, and we'll deal with economic consequences subsequently. Moving to the current Intermountain policies, how many of your employees are working remotely at this point? Kudos to Heather Brace, our chief people officer. We've had some work at home in, in scattered areas of the organization, probably on the order of 500 to 1,000 people a day. We're actually having nine to 10,000 people per day working from home. And it's growing every day. And caregivers feel safe. They're able to watch after their families. They don't miss work. So their incomes remain nice and solid. It's been absolutely terrific. And I think that is one of the many things that we're going to see a trend towards post-crisis. And I will say as well that living here in Salt Lake City, where we have inversions, we've had more clean air days than I can ever remember. And it's wonderful. I think a lot of people are taking note of that fact. That's an interesting point. Steve Hebner, a board member of Intermountain, when I was chatting with him a couple of weeks ago, was making that same point about Seattle. And back to the working remotely, that's roughly nine or 10,000 people. That'd be roughly, what, 20% of the Intermountain workforce? A quarter of the world, 41,000 people. So a quarter of the workforce, yeah. What about redeploying caregivers? Has that been necessary yet? It's necessary operationally, but it's necessarily economically for our caregivers. Probably redeployed about 4,000 people on an individual basis over the last couple of weeks. Yesterday, we redeployed 400 people, and we want people to stay whole economically, so we want to find work for them. We also have new needs, so whether it's making face fields or whether it's an endoscopy nurse who is going to serve as a temperature screener at a front door, People keep that their same salary regardless of what job they're moved into. And we've seen enormous gratitude and excitement as people get to try new things. People who are on the inpatient side are moving over to home health. People who are administrative are actually taking on semi-clinical roles in some instances. It's been terrific. And it feels good 
to have people have meaningful work to do and see the flexibility of the organization. Turning to other adjustments, I noticed the recent announcement by Dr. Brizacher about the adjustments to compensation and some caregivers. How's that worked its way through the system? I think Mark's comments were unfortunately taken out of context. So we have actually had not a single person in Intermountain has had a pay cut because of COVID-19, not one. In fact, this coming week, everyone, with the exception of the executive leadership team, will be getting their full merit increase and, where appropriate, bonuses for the year 2019, because they worked hard and they deserve it. Mark's comments were misunderstood in part because not everybody understands how productivity versus salaried work is paid for in healthcare. And he was referring to a group of about 600 out of 2,600 doctors, nurse practitioners, and PAs who are on productivity-based contracts. And they stood to lose a lot of money individually based on loss of volume. And in fact, the medical group board stepped in. These are active clinicians and medical group management and made a recommendation to our board members and to the executive leadership team that we soften that blow. And so, yes, some of them may, nobody has actually gotten a pay cut. Some of them may actually have a reduction below what they were making before, but it won't be nearly as low as what they would have experienced. So again, we're trying our very best to keep people in places where they're going to be okay economically and they can worry about other things like helping to take great care of patients. On a productivity-based model, you've adjusted it such that they wouldn't lose as much as they would otherwise. That's right. We would be very silly to play contractual hardball with a great group of people, and it just wouldn't be right. It's just not who we are. And it felt really good to me that it was people who lived in that group who came up with their solution that they thought was fair. Now, I guarantee out of 2,600 people in total, some people are going to be angry. They're not going to think it's enough or they're going to think it's too much or who, who knows. But the majority of people really seem very grateful and they've settled down and now they can worry about other things. Right. So have there been any caregiver shortages? Uh, you've got a number of hospitals in different rural areas. I would wonder about the shortages. We've talked in the past about a reorganization, Gary. We have no idea what we would have done if we hadn't turned into one intermountain, played as an enterprise, had an integrated operating model and KPIs. So now the answer is no, we have not had caregiver shortages at this point. And people are flexing and redistributing and helping each other out and working in new facilities, making new friends. And it, it seems to be working quite well so far. Now, the surge is yet to come and we are not naive. Things are going to get tough. But so far, so good. Let's turn to Select Health, your 900,000-member health plan. Do you see any coverage or economic issues to Select Health coming out of this COVID-19 crisis? It's interesting, Gary. As you know, we really believe in prepaid health care, the you know, fully capitated model to keep people well. As you also know, we do a fair amount of traditional commercial business as well. And we're really not sure what we're going to learn. All we know is we're going to take great care of patients and be careful with resources. And we're going to keep our eyes and ears open as we see what the new world looks like. Just a final question in this set of questions. What is your message to the Intermountain community and how often are you commuting with them? 
We communicate with them daily with an update. I'm communicating personally, addition to a million phone calls and meetings and that kind of thing, about once a week with everything from podcasts to FaceTime lives to videos, you, you name it. The message is actually really an important one. We are going to get through this. The question is, how are we going to look on the other side of this? Are we going to, as a society, chew on each other and divide and politicize and polarize? Or are we going to come together and is this going to be our Battle of Britain moment where we stay calm, we carry on, and we show the best of what American society can do? Intermountain is working really hard with our community partners across the region, across the state, to try and be a force for the latter, not the former. And I'm heartened by what I see. In discussions with your colleagues around the country, Mark, what are you hearing on this very point? Are there others as optimistic as you are that we can pull together and make this a singular moment in our history? I think some, yes. We have been very careful with our finances over the years careful about how we how we use capital, really dotted our I's and crossed our T's, and at times even have been criticized, have we banked too much money, have we made too much money? And I don't think anybody's worried about that right now. I think they're pretty darn glad that we have these reserves because we've always said they're there for a situation just like this. And I'm really worried for some of my great colleagues across the country who for whatever reason are not as lucky and are worried about making payroll and worried about keeping the lights on, even in the midst of this terrible stress they're feeling. Here at Intermountain, we are feeling like we've got a great mission ahead of us with great colleagues in a terrific set of communities. And we think we're as poised as anyone to do as well as possible with this unique, at least I hope it's unique, experience. Well, cash is king in an economic crisis like we have now, for sure. And you do wonder, given your point, Mark, if they're not going to be more consolidation ahead as some of the health systems struggle economically. I think you're 100% right. I think one of the things that would be really interesting, Gary, and I'm sure you're thinking about is people have tried to run so lean, right? And I think that may be coming back to bite folks a little bit. I understand why they've made those decisions. I wonder if there will be a bit of a reset for our industry in terms of almost from a national security standpoint, whether we need to have reserve capability on the hard asset side. I mean, it's pretty clear that hospitals are part of the domestic infrastructure of the country. And I think just tracking along with your point, we do tend to forget that. But you wonder if there shouldn't be some kind of fund or some kind of direction of dollars out of healthcare to make sure that we're preserving the role of our hospitals as part of the valid domestic infrastructure of the country. Here, here. This is coming from somebody who, as you know, I'm very bullish on distance and tele and digital platforms, but this is how we reorganized ourselves at Intermountain. We recognize that we're in the keeping people well business, but we also recognize that we're in the taking care of people in their sick business also and have made appropriate investments on both arms of that. I'll be interested to see what the, what the rest of the country thinks at the end of this. Well, this is a nice segue into questions about governance. So in terms of the all-important relations with the Intermountain Board of Directors, what questions are they asking and how often are you corresponding with them? We're having a weekly call, Gary, 
Uh, we're maintaining some usual business trajectory kind of conversations, but also probably the majority of the conversation is around our response to the crisis. And as you might imagine, and you know some of the uh, directors, these are people who are really concerned for the community, make sure we do the right thing for the people around us, and are concerned for our, our caregivers. And so they tend to be very people-oriented conversations and uh, not so much around financials at this point. One of the things that directors have brought up in discussions, Dr. Hockman, Rod Hockman, a colleague of yours, brought up in an interview a week ago, and that is the global supply chain. Should we reconsider global supply chain for some of these pieces of equipment and other PPE goods and services that we're just having a tough time getting, and it's probably causing lives in this country. What's your feeling about that? Well, he's a very smart guy. I happen to agree with him 100%. And I also think his organization is functioning heroically at this point. I'd add to his list, I'd say active pharmaceutical ingredients are largely come from India and China at this point in time. And we probably need a dual source for many of those, again, for stability and national security reasons. A question to follow up, as we're talking about the government here, but to follow up on regulations, and there's been, CMS is generally viewed as being very responsive and waiving certain regulations and lessening others. What's your thought about after the crisis has diminished, will CMS go back to more of the heavy regulations, or do you think they'll let the system run as it is now? I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I clearly hope that it'll maybe be a little bit lighter touch and have more of a distance flair to it. But I, I would echo what you said. Administrator Verma has been fantastic and very flexible, very responsive, doing the best she can within her swim lane. And I've been most impressed. Mark, we appreciate your time today. I know you have a full plate. One final question, if I could, and that is... Thinking ahead, a couple of years, we're through the bulk of this crisis. Any thoughts about how the health system will have changed in response to this crisis that'll be a positive for those of you on the front lines? I think it's consumer centricity. You know, by that point in time, the millennials will be far more than half of the workforce and probably more than half of the patients. And the digital natives are going to be creeping up on them really fast. And we'll have just gone through the most intense digital experience that anybody's ever had. And I just imagine that is going to be a big focus for how healthcare is delivered. It's going to be a demand. It's not even going to be an option. So I think we've actually just experienced a stepwise evolutionary change in what healthcare looks like. And there will be good points and bad points to that, but I think it has changed once and for all. I think you're right. Mark, thanks again for your time. We respect your opinions very much. Good work at Intermountain. Our thoughts and prayers are with you all. Stay safe and wash your hands. <laughs> Good point. This episode of Fireside Chat is produced by Stratfire. Please subscribe to Fireside Chat on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Be sure to rate and review Fireside Chat so we can continue to explore key issues with innovative and dynamic healthcare leaders. In addition to subscribing and rating, we have found that podcasts are known through word of mouth. We appreciate your spreading the word to friends or those who might be interested. Fireside Chat is brought to you from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., where we explore the intersection of healthcare politics, financing, and delivery. 
For additional perspectives on health policy and leadership, read my weekly blog, Bisbee's Brief. For questions and suggestions about Fireside Chat, contact me through our website, firesidechatpodcast.com or gary at hmacademy.com. Thanks for listening.